about earlier this week, I think it was on Thursday, uh, I had an opportunity, no, I guess it was just Friday, so just a couple days ago, but um, I had to drive over to Ellensburg um, for something, and I was, I was hanging out there for about an hour, and I ended up um, waiting at the Safeway there, I got a couple donuts, and um, was sitting around, you know, just hanging out, and I was, the, the place where you hang out is right next to the Starbucks that's there in, in the Safeway, and that, either that day or the day before, so November 1st or 2nd, the people at Starbucks and one of the, the guys that had just started working there, one of their baristas, was complaining about this, actually. They just started setting out all of their Christmas-type stuff, you know, their new Christmas cups and their Christmas displays and all that kind of stuff, and, and this guy started ranting about, you know, we still got three and a half weeks or whatever it is until Thanksgiving gets here. Why are we putting out all this Christmas stuff? And, and honestly, I would almost swear there was probably Christmas music playing in the background while that's going on. It's the first of November or the second, whatever day it was. It's way too early in my book for Christmas music. Now, granted, Pastor Kevin, my wife, works in the office occasionally, and so I know for a fact that for at least two weeks, Pastor Kevin's been playing Christmas music in the office. Jacob can probably vouch for that. And I think if I remember correctly from what he said, he would probably, if it was socially acceptable, listen to it year-round. But... I'm from the, the old school, I guess, where I prefer to put my Christmas music off until like the day after Thanksgiving. And then, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> and then at our house, you know, it's, it's on like, it's on that, that constant rotation, just nonstop play from Christmas, I mean, from Thanksgiving, the day after until Christmas comes, and maybe even a little bit after that. But that's about it when it comes to, to Christmas music. But as you can see, I mean, you just look around and cr- the Christmas holidays are already starting and they're here. And as you think about those, I think we all probably have different things that we enjoy. Maybe you're like Pastor Kevin and it's Christmas music. That's the highlight of your Christmas holiday. For me, I think the greatest highlight of the Christmas season and Christmas holidays on Christmas morning, watching people open gifts. One of my favorite things to do um, and one of my, I guess, my love languages is, is the idea of gift giving and giving people gifts. Because for me, it's a way of expressing to them how much I love and care about them. You know, when, when I find something during the year, like right now, don't go look through my dresser or anything, Malia, but there's like three presents in there that are waiting for you for Christmas that I've gathered during the year. Because that's, I love to do that. As you go through the year and you see something that reminds you of somebody you care about, to pick it up and to have it and to hang on to it and then give it to them that morning. And it's that expression of, you know, you've been on my mind this year. I care about you. I know you. I know who you are. I know what matters to you. And this is a way of expressing that. And on a Christmas morning, I could sit there for the whole morning and just sit back and just, you know, take joy in watching my, my family, my loved ones, open the gifts that I've picked out for them throughout the year. And, and seeing the joy on their faces, I, I could care less, honestly, if I get anything. I, I'm usually the one on Christmas morning, my family has to say, okay, Dad, it's your turn. You need to open something now because I'm having too much fun handing the presents out and giving them um, to other people because that's what I enjoy. And this morning, I want to talk to you about that idea of us being givers. Uh, that's what Pastor Kevin 
um, has asked me to talk about this morning. We're continuing on the, the series that he's been covering uh, since September on, on the gospel. And for the last few weeks, if you've been here, he's been talking specifically about our gospel identity and different aspects of our gospel identity. Because it's important for us to base our identity not on what we do, but on what God has done for us. And so in the gospel, that's what we learn. As we talk about the gospel, we've been studying that. We've been learning about all that God has done for us. And so now, Pastor Kevin is having us look at, so how does what God's done for us impact who we are and impact our identity in him? And so this morning, we're going to spend some time talking about our identity as givers. And hopefully, my goal is that by the time we're done this morning, we're going to see that it's because of all that God has done for us and all that he has given us that we need to be people who give generously, both to him and to others. So let's pray, and then we'll dive into God's word this morning. Father God, I thank you for the Christmas season that we do get to celebrate, even if some people start early. It's, it's a joy and a privilege to remember your son coming to earth and that gift of eternal life that has been given to us because of him. God, I pray that this morning as we look into your word, that we would, number one, be reminded about all that you have given us and how you have so generously blessed us in our lives. And then see how in turn we should be people who give as well and give in that same kind of a generous spirit. I pray that your spirit would just clearly communicate the message that you have this morning to the hearts of the people who are here, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So just a thumbnail sketch, just so you kind of have an idea of where we're going to start and and where we're going to end up. Because I'm going to try and cover a, a lot of ideas in this whole concept of us being givers this morning. We're going to start with the idea of just the basic biblical concept of what is stewardship. And we're just going to look really briefly at that. And then we're going to dig into what the Bible has to say about us being a giver. And we're going to start in the Old Testament. We're just going to look at briefly the Old Testament concept and, and teaching the law of, of, being of, a, of the tithe and what that meant. We're going to look at what Jesus said about the tithe in the New Testament. And then finally, we're going to wrap up and spend the bulk of our time looking at some basic New Testament principles for giving that, that we hear from the Apostle Paul and what he has to communicate um, to us today. But in order to understand that New Testament teaching, I think we need some background. We need a good biblical foundation before we get to that point. So I want to start with this, this first general concept of the idea of stewardship, the biblical idea of stewardship. And that comes from uh, Psalm 24. I mean, it comes, there's a number of places that we could talk about that. The one verse I want to focus on this morning is Psalm chapter 24, verse 1. And the psalmist writes this at the beginning of the psalm. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. So the, the concept of stewardship begins with the idea that nothing is ours. Everything belongs to God. And the things that we have, whatever we possess, whether it's our money, whether it's the, the physical possessions that we have, whether it's the time that we have from day to day, or the abilities and the talents that we have 
are all gifts that have been given to us by God. And our calling is to be a good steward of what God has given to us. That's the idea of stewardship, is that we are called to be good stewards. And a steward is someone who manages the resources of someone else. This is illustrated in a parable that Jesus tells um, in the book of uh, Matthew chapter 25. There's this wealthy landowner who's getting ready to go out and go on a trip. And so he calls his servants together, and he gives the servants talents. And, and what, what a talent is, it was a unit of, of money in that day and age. And it represented, honestly, a vast sum of wealth. It would have been many, many years worth of wages. And he gave one servant ten talents, he gave another one five talents, he gave another one one talent. And he said, you know, take this and care for this while I'm going to be gone. And then when the servants returned, the servant that got ten talents had taken that and he'd used it and he'd invested it wisely and he'd multiplied it. And the one who had ten talents had earned ten more. The one who had five talents had done the same thing and he ended up with five more. The one who had one talent had taken it and he just buried it in the ground because he was afraid of what would happen. He didn't want to lose it in a bad investment. And so he only had the one talent. He still had what he'd been given. And the, the, at the end of the parable, it's the, the, the ones who had been good stewards, who had taken what had been entrusted to them and invested it and multiplied it, were blessed. And the one who had taken and not been a good steward and just hid it away, that what he had even had had is taken away from him and given to the ones who had been a good steward of it. And that's the principle of what we are supposed to do. We, are, we, we have been given so much by God in terms of our material wealth, just by living in the United States. Even the poorest person in this room compared to the rest of the world, you are probably wealthy by comparison. We have been blessed just because of where we were born and where we live today. So we have been blessed abundantly. We are blessed daily with just the breath of life to live and to breathe. We've been blessed with talents and abilities. And we are called biblically to be good stewards of the things that we have to manage the resources that God has given us and to do it effectively and to use those for his honor and for his glory. And so that that idea of stewardship is kind of the underlying, undergirding principle of all the rest of the things that we're going to talk about. That when we talk about being a giver and giving, it's not we are giving God something that he didn't have. God has given us everything that we have, and so biblically, when we give to God, we are simply giving back to him out of what he has already blessed us with. So let's dig in now and look specifically at just a couple things that the Bible has to say about how we are to give. And it starts at the beginning. In the Old Testament, there was some specific laws for how the Jewish people were to give. And it begins with the law of tithing. The Old Testament law of tithing, tithing one of the places we see that referred to, is in Leviticus chapter 27, verse 30, where the law says, Every tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the trees, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. So he says, every tithe of the land. What does that mean? The word tithe comes from, there's a Hebrew word very specifically that's translated tithe. It's masayar. 
And the Hebrew word masayar literally means one-tenth, a tenth. And so God said to the Jews in the Old Testament that one-tenth of everything that they had belonged to him. It was holy to the Lord. And that, that, that word, that idea of something being holy, means that it has been set apart. So God's saying to them, one-tenth, 90% you can take and you can manage, you can use how you need, but one-tenth needs to be set apart for me and needs to be brought to me and given to me. It's holy to the Lord. It is set apart. It belongs to God, is what the law teaches. And to drive home what that meant for the Jewish people, one more text from the Old Testament um, that I want to look at real briefly, and it's from the book of Malachi. Malachi chapter 3, verses 8 through 10. It's not that one. Got to find my right bookmark here. There we are. Malachi chapter 3, verses 8 through 10. And listen to what what God says through Malachi to the Jewish people because they were not giving the tithe as they had been commanded. Malachi 3, beginning in verse 8. Will Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. So God says through the prophet Malachi that his people, because they are not bringing their tithe to him, he says, you are robbing me by not bringing your tithes and your contributions. And that word there for rob is the Hebrew word kabah, which means literally to defraud, to rob, to, to embezzle, or to spoil. So they were embezzling from God. They were taking what was rightfully God's and they were keeping it for themselves. And there were going to be, God says, there were going to be consequences for that. In verse 9, because of that, he says, you are cursed with a curse because you're not tithing as a nation. You are not going to be blessed. You're going to be cursed. But there's more. There is a way out. There is hope. That's not the end of the story because down in verse 10, he says, there's, there, you can change your actions. Instead of embezzling from me, you can bring your full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And the storehouse there is not their own personal storehouse. He's saying, bring the tithe, bring what is mine, that 10% that's supposed to be set apart for me, bring that into the storehouse as the storehouse at the temple. Bring that to me, and then you will be blessed. He said, put your God to the test. Put me to the test as the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. God said, put me to the test. Bring your tithe. Test me and I will fulfill my promises and I will bless you until there is no need. And so that was the choice that God left them with. You can either continue to rob me, you can steal, you can embezzle from me and you can live under this curse or... You can bring your, your tithe into the storehouse 
and I promise that I will bless you. And then that's just really briefly, that's the summary of the Old Testament teaching on that concept of the tithe. And then we move into the New Testament and we see Jesus talk briefly about the tithe. There's actually only a couple mentions in the New Testament um, of the tithe, only twice that Jesus does. Um, there's two passages, the one we're going to look at in Matthew 23, um, also in Luke 11. Those are two parallel passages that record the, the same event where it's Christ talking to the Pharisees. We're going to look at that there. Christ also mentions the tithe one other place in a parable that, that he teaches. And once again, it's not necessarily in a favorable light because he uses the concept of the tithe as a, the, the, the Pharisee in the parable that he's talking about is using the idea of the tithe to brag about how spiritual that he is. But so Christ's teaching on the tithe can really be summed up here. This is from Matthew um, 23, Matthew chapter 23, verse 23. And it comes in the midst of him um, speaking against the Pharisees, proclaiming seven woes against the Pharisees. Um, and this is not long before his crucifixion, towards the end of his ministry. And Jesus says this, in the midst of those seven woes, he proclaims against the Pharisees, he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint, dill, and cumin, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. So Jesus says to the Pharisees, in, in, in the midst of cursing them, he says, you're, you're tithing these little tiny things, mint and dill and cumin, those are spices. And in the Old Testament law, the spices there, things like mint and dill and cumin, weren't covered under what was commanded in the law to be tithed. They weren't classified in that, that verse we looked at from Leviticus. He said they were supposed to tithe from the seed of the land. But the spices weren't part of what was covered in that seed of the land. So he's saying, you're tithing these little tiny things that aren't even covered in the law. So in your minds, you're trying to go above and beyond the law externally. So that people will see you bringing this tithe of these spices that the law doesn't say you have to tithe. And you're bringing those to the temple and you're tithing those. But there's things that are greater, that are more important. Jesus says they're, they're items that are weightier that you're neglecting. And, and the language that he's using there, he, he's calling them out. Because for, for the scribes, for the Pharisees of that day, they had taken and they were, they were law keepers. They wanted to do all they could externally before man to, to, to keep the law. And so they had taken the Old Testament law and they'd broken it down to over... They'd specified there are over 600 different commands. And of those commands, they broke them down and they knew exactly how many commands were proscriptive of things that they needed to do and how many were things that they needed to avoid doing. And they could tell you exactly how many of each of those that there were. And then they broke them down even further than that. And they said, so out of all of these commands, we think there are some that are extremely important. These we would call the heavy commands, the ones that we have to focus on doing and then there are lighter commands which maybe aren't quite as important. And they broke it down that way. And so in their minds, they would say, we emphasize these heavy commands. These are the ones that we think are the most important to do. And that's what our, our emphasis is. But Jesus calls them out here and he says, you have neglected the weightier manners. He's saying, you're ignoring those heavy commands, the ones that you say are important, 
These are the ones that are really important. And look at what Christ says the more important commands are. The things that they were neglecting were important things like justice and mercy and faithfulness. Jesus says you ought to have done these without neglecting the others. So Christ, when he, the one time that he really talks about the tithe in the New Testament, doesn't condemn the tithe. He doesn't say it's not it's something that we can just throw away. He doesn't condemn it. But he says that there are things that are more important than the tithe. Justice and mercy and faithfulness. And, and just one more thing. When we talk about Jesus Christ and his teaching about the, 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 the Old Testament law, because this is an area where Christ is very consistent in his teaching. When, he ta- when Christ talks about the law in the Old Testament, he consistently says that if you desire to be a part of his kingdom, if you desire to be one of his followers, we need to go beyond keeping the law. We need to go beyond keeping the law to the heart of the matter and what it means. If you remember back to the the Sermon on the Mount, Pastor Kevin taught through that um, the first half of this year. And in Matthew chapter 5, a couple verses from the Sermon on the Mount, let me just show you an example of how Christ says, if we want to be his followers, we need to go beyond what the law says. Matthew 5, 21, you have heard it said, you shall not murder. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. It's not enough just not to kill people. We should not be angry with other people. Matthew 5, 27, you have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Christ's teaching goes beyond what the Old Testament law says. And I think the principle can be applied that the Old Testament law said give God 10%. Christ, in his teaching, would say that everything that we have, not just 10% of it is set aside and is God's. All of it is God's. We're to be holy as he is holy. Our whole lives, everything we have, should be set apart for him. So then let's go a little bit further then, and we're going to look at a few New Testament principles for giving. And and these come from the Apostle Paul and from his letters to, to the Corinthians. Because Paul, I believe, takes the Old Testament teaching from the law of the tithe. He takes what Christ taught us about the idea of stewardship, and then he gives us some basic principles that, as followers of Christ, um, we can take and we can apply to our own lives when we think about how we're supposed to give. Because remember, the whole idea behind this is that because of all that God has given us, we need to be people who then give generously because it's all God's. It all belongs to him, and we are just stewards of what he has given to us. So, by way of a little bit of background, as we look at what um, Paul has to say here, as he was writing to the, the church in Corinth, the Corinthians, um, he was writing to them, and one of the purposes of the letter, there were, there were a number of purposes, but one of the things he was trying to, to um, communicate to them is that the churches in, in that Asia Minor region were in the process of taking up a collection for the believers back in Jerusalem. 
There were a number of believers in Jerusalem who, because of the persecution and some other events, were living in, in poverty. And so some of the churches in the Asia Minor region, including the church at Corinth, were taking up a collection that was then going to be taken back to help and assist the, the believers um, back in, in Jerusalem. And so Paul was writing to the Corinthians. We're going to see, we're going to get both the passage from 1 Corinthians and from 2 Corinthians. And, and both of these passages are referring to this offering that Paul was asking the church in Corinth to take up and to be a part of this larger um, collection and minister materially to those Jewish believers in, in Jerusalem. And, and, it's part, and part of his, his writing and his request for them to give, it was a reminder to the Gentile believers that lived in that region that they owed their Jewish be- brothers a spiritual debt that they could never repay. And so that they should, as part of that, be a part of this gift of giving to the, um, to the, to the Jewish believers there. So a few principles for financial giving and generous living from Paul's letters uh, to the Corinthians. And the first one, first couple are found in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 1 through 4. So let me read those for you and then I'll pull out a couple principles from there. Now, concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable that I should go also, they will accompany me. So the first principle that I want to pull out of that is in verse 2 of that passage where he says, on the first day of every week. And it's the idea that when we give, I think our giving, Paul is saying, it should be something that is a regular occurrence. It should happen on some sort of a regular basis. I, I don't think that it matters for us if you give weekly, monthly, twice a month, whatever it is. It's probably going to depend maybe for you on, on, on your paycheck and how your income um, plays out, but there should be some sort of a regular pattern to your giving. Our giving should not just be haphazard of, oh, I happen to have an extra 10 bucks in my wallet this morning. I'll throw that in the plate. Biblically, I don't think that's the type of giving that, that Paul is instructing us to do. It needs to be regular on a consistent basis and a part of our regular life of worship that we have. It should also be, also this comes from verse 2, it should also be proportional. He says, on the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper. So as God blesses you, proportionally we should give back to him. So how much we give is in proportion to how much God has given us. So, and I think that's why sometimes it's easy to set aside, say, a percentage, and as our income goes up, that percentage is obviously going to grow as our income goes. But it needs to be proportional to how we have been given. Um, and then a couple other things to look at, and these come from um, chapter 9 of 2 Corinthians. A couple more principles um, that we want to pull out. So let me read those verses, and this is once again Paul spends most of chapter 8 and chapter 9 talking once again about this gift that, that they are gathering up. And so this is what Paul has to say, some of what Paul has to say in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Um, I'm going to start reading in verse 6, verses 6 through 10 of 2 Corinthians 9. 
The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has made up his mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever." He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. So I think the third principle, we see that it needs to be regular, we see that it needs to be proportional. I think the third principle I want to point out today is that our giving needs, it should be generous. And Paul uses this principle of the sower here, that people who are stingy in their giving are going to reap. Very little. But if you sow bountifully, if you give generously, we will reap generously. What we receive um, out of, in terms of the blessing from our gift, is directly related to what we give. And, And this doesn't just apply to money. Remember, we're talking, the underlying principle of all this is the idea of being stewards of all that God has given us. So if we give generously out of our, our money, our time, our talents, all that we have, we will be blessed generously. But if we're stingy in all of those things, then I think that those blessings are going to be reduced. We need to be people who sow generously, who give freely to others the same way that God has given to us. But being a stingy or a generous giver doesn't just happen. It's a conscious decision on our part. Verse 7, Paul says, Each one of you must give as he has made up his mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion. We don't just give by accident. You don't just serve by accident. You're not going to stumble in to serving somebody. It's a choice that we make to choose to help other people. We don't help people in need. By accident. We have to choose, we have to decide that we're going to be generous with all that God has given to us. And we need to do it cheerfully. He says, not reluctantly under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And when we give and we serve and we do it with a cheerful and generous heart, the promise is what Paul says that God will bless us abundantly, abundantly, bountifully beyond what we could imagine. And that blessing is not necessarily a financial blessing. It's not a proportional thing of you give so much and then you're going to receive back this financial gift of blessing from God. That's not what Paul is trying to communicate, but it's a spiritual blessing. He says that we will abound in every good work. And we're going to get some more into that um, in the next point. But... um, I want, to, I want to point out something to you from verse 9 as well about just the importance of what um, Paul is talking about there. In verse 9 he says, As it is written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. And that is a quote that Paul drops into the middle of this passage from Psalm 112. And I think one thing a lot of times that we miss as... Um, 
you know, people who've grown up in a, in a Western culture here that we miss out on, on the kind of the, the Eastern, Middle Eastern mindset that this was written from, where Paul had grown up. In, in, in Paul's training, because Paul was trained as a Pharisee, and in, in the, the Jewish schools of that time, you were taught a specific way to, to, to talk and to discuss and to argue. And, and in those discussions, and in the questions and answers that would be asked and the questions that would be thrown back and forth, when you gave an answer and somebody asked you a question about some aspect of you know, theological thought or whatnot, you would quote back to them a particular verse, like Paul does here, from Psalm 112. And he gives a verse out of the middle of the psalm. But in the Middle Eastern mindset of the day, Paul wasn't just referring to that one. He's not pulling one verse out of the middle of the psalm and taking it out of context and just saying, look at this little bit right here. In Paul's mind, he's referencing the entire psalm. Psalm 112. Because Paul would have known what that whole psalm said. Most of his Jewish readers would have known what that whole psalm said because most of them in their schooling would have memorized the majority, if not all, of the book of Psalms. And so when Paul quotes from Psalm 112 and says he's distributed freely, he's given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever, his readers would have seen that and they would have thought of the entire psalm. And so to understand what Paul was trying to say, let me read to you from Psalm 112. And I think that we can see how this ties back even to what Jesus had to say to the Pharisees about their tithing on the mint and and dill and cumin. So Psalm 112, the psalmist writes, Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. His offspring will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in the house, and his righteousness endures forever. Light dawns in the darkness for the upright. He is gracious, merciful, and righteous. It is well with the man who deals generously and lends and conducts his affairs with justice. For the righteous will never be moved. He will be remembered forever. He is not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. His heart is steady. He will not be afraid until he looks in triumph on his adversaries. He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn is exalted in honor. The wicked man sees it and is angry. He gnashes his teeth and melts away. The desire, the desire of the wicked will perish. So when Paul is referring back to that entire psalm, he is, he is saying that it's like what Christ said, where you did, the Pharisees had ignored the weight of your commandments. That whole psalm talks about things like justice and mercy and faithfulness, those weightier matters. And, and Paul is saying that the type of generous lifestyle that I am calling you to live, the type of generous givers that I am encouraging you to be, is you are going to be people who fear the Lord, people who delight in His commands, people who are gracious and merciful and righteous and give generously and deal with others justly, trust in God in the face of bad news, give freely and reach out and help the poor. That's the kind of, when we say that we need to sow generously, 
That's one concept I want you to really grasp this morning, is we're not just saying give financially generously. We are giving and sowing generously with our whole lives. That's the gospel identity of being a giver, is that we give everything that we have, our time, the ability that God's given us, and our money. It includes all of those elements, because those are all part of the blessing that we have from God And we need to give generously and so generously. And then we see, once again, the principle is reemphasized in verses 11 through 15, that if we sow generously, we will reap generously. So listen, beginning in verse 11. You will be enriched in every way for all your generosity, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but it is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission, flowing from your confession of the gospel of Christ, and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. If we live generous lives, Paul tells us that we are going to be richly blessed, that God will supply our needs. And this is not some kind of a prosperity gospel, not something like I already said, where we give to God and then he gives us more money and we're going to get rich by doing that. But if we are generous, Paul says that we will reap generously. We will abound in every good work. We will increase the harvest of our righteousness. We'll be enriched in every way which produces thanksgiving. And I think the Bible is clear that if we give, if we are generous givers with our whole lives, that we will receive blessings, primarily spiritual blessings, but there are other blessings as well. And sometimes it may be financial, but that's not the promise from Scripture. But we will be a blessed people if we give generously. So, let me just try to wrap this up and bring bring this all together Um, I'm here at the end. A few things. I think there are a few things that we can say are 100% crystal clear um, from the Bible. Number one, in the Old Testament law, the Jewish people were commanded to tithe. We saw that that, that's that 10%. And actually, if you read through the whole Old Testament law, the idea of the tithe and all the different things that they were commanded to give, the total that they gave to God probably came out somewhere closer to about 23%. But that's the Old Testament law. They were commanded to tithe. The second thing that I think is biblically crystal clear is that in his teaching, Christ doesn't abolish the tithe, but he gives us the principle of, of stewardship, which actually goes beyond the tithe. And Christ is teaching us that not just 10% of what you have is God's and set aside for him. Everything that you have is God's. It's all his, and we are just simply stewards of what God has given us. Um, We also know that in Christ, the law was fulfilled. Uh, We're no longer under the law. So we can't just pick and choose which parts of the law we want to to follow. We can't say, yeah, I think, you know, we're still commanded to be under the tithe, but we don't have to worry about being under the sacrificial system. When Christ abolished the law, we are no longer under the law. Listen to a couple of verses from the book of Romans, chapter 7, 
verses 4 through 6. Paul writes, Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to one another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve not under the old written code, but in the new life of the Spirit. We're not under the Old Testament law, but we are under a new law, which the New Testament refers to as the law of love. We are commanded. Jesus says the whole law is summed up in two things. Love God and love others. Listen to what Paul says, Romans 13, verses 8 through 10. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. So I think it's clear once again from Scripture, we're not under the law. Christ, in the New Testament, we are not commanded to tithe. But I think that finally the New Testament does clearly teach us some principles about giving that we looked at. That we should give generously, we should give cheerfully, we should give without being compelled, and we should give regularly. And, and those are the things that I can with 100% confidence say. Those are the clear biblical teachings on giving. We're not under the law. We're not required to give 10%, but we are stewards. And if we don't return to God a portion of what he has given to us, we are, in the same way the Jewish people were for not tithing, if we're not returning to God a portion of what he's given to us, we are also guilty of embezzling from him and, him and keeping what's not ours. So for each of us here who's a follower of Christ, we should each determine in our own hearts what we're going to give and set that aside first and not just give to God out of what is, is left over. So, and this last part that I'm going to just say really quickly, I mean, this is my own personal application. I can't tell you that what I'm about to say is 100% biblical. That was everything up to this point, this is what the Bible said. Now we're getting to, okay, this is what Dan thinks about what the Bible says. I just want to make that clear, okay? And here's my application of this. Um, and this is my own personal conviction. I think that 10%, that tithe we see from the Old Testament, for me, I believe that that is a starting point for our giving. And it's, I mean, I've always kind of looked at it as like spiritual training wheels. God has given that to us to teach us how to give. And there are times in our lives that, yeah, that 10% is going to be tough. You know, and statistically, you know, the statistics when it comes to, to giving for the, the church and Christians in America are really honestly kind of sad. Statistics tell us that there's only about 5% of Christians in America that give at least 10% of their income to the church. Um, the average for Christians in America that they give to church is about 2.5% of our income is what the statistical averages um, tell us they are. So the chances are this morning that there's probably a lot of you maybe in this room that might not be at that point yet of giving uh, 10% of your income. 
And maybe you're where I was a number of years ago when God had to really do some work in, in my life. And just thinking, you know, I don't know that I could live on just 90% of what I'm making if I was really going to set aside at the beginning of every month 10% to, to give to God. But I will say this, and I can say this from my own experience, that 90% of your income with God's blessing is way more than 100% of your income without God's blessing in your life. I can say that for a fact. I, I know, I'm not, I'm not telling you that you, need, you have to give a specific amount. I know in my life that that has been true. There have been times when we've set our budget and we look at it and we say, you know, if we do 10% and we write these checks to the church, I don't know where the money's going to come from to cover the rest of it. But you know, those are the months where we get an envelope in the mail that's got some cash in it. Somebody slips us a gift card. I've had bags full of groceries show up on my back door without knowing who it was. When I was a pastor in Portland, I had a lady in our church. We, we went and we worked at a church for $300 a month and a place to live. That was our salary when we started there for the first six months. We were crazy. I don't know what we were thinking, but we were trusting God and we gave to the church. And we had one of the ladies in that church who once or twice a month, she would go to the grocery store and every time she went shopping, she would buy at least two bags of groceries and put them in her trunk, stop by our house, and come out and say, what do you guys want? Take whatever you need out of here. And she would help stock our fridge that way. I mean, God, if we are faithful in our giving, God will be faithful and provide and supply for our needs. For some of you, maybe being generous is going to start at 5%. For some of you, Maybe giving 10% isn't really being generous at all. It, it's going to be proportional, but it needs to be something that is between you and God. And God does promise that if we give generously, that he will bless us. That tithe, that 10%, that principle from the Old Testament law, I think, I think personally, is a good place to start. It's those spiritual training wheels, and it's a place that we can start and that we can grow in our generous giving.